Well, this is music, mindfulness, and madness. And today, we're going to talk about vocals. Capturing good vocal performances, recording the voice, tips and tricks, strategies, and maybe a few uh, horror stories and success stories about what we've experienced and learned. Well, well. Every time you do that, it just make, it make, makes me think that I'm, I have to, I'm, I'm about to answer a question. Oh, wait, wait, don't tell me. <laughs> we, could, we could do that, too. All right. Yeah. Uh, Five-letter word for a sound you make with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So why don't we start off? Uh, we'll start off uh, this way. Uh, when, uh, when did you guys first, like, sing? When when was the first sort of thing that t- time you can recall? Oh, good question. Really good question. Can I go? Go go go. So the first time I really remember actually like singing something into a microphone and hearing it back was, um, ironically I, I had been playing in bands for, Jesus, like five or six years at that at this point. I got a uh, I got a loan to get my first four track, and it wasn't until I bought my first four track and brought it home, and uh, and just just experimented with it that I actually sang into a microphone and heard myself back. And the first thing I tried uh. was "When Doves Cry" a cappella. Woo! Because I was I, I was just fucking obsessed with Prince at, at the time. This was it was right around the time Purple Rain came out. And I was playing the shit out of that record, and uh, and uh, and I knew that, and I was just obsessed with that song, and I and I knew it had harmony, so I I, I tried to sing it. I, I, I did it very badly, but that was like the first thing that I tried, and it was uh, it's weird when you hear your voice back that way for the first time. I mean, I probably I can think of times as as a kid, I I had a maternal grandfather who was. Uh, who always had like recording equipment and would like do these little like art link letter kids say the craziest things stuff with, <laughs> with us grandkids. And so I can remember hearing my voice then, but, but to hear adult me singing and playing it back, it, it's, it, it was freaky. It was freaky as fuck hearing it for the first time. It was really bad and it was freaky. How old were you? I was probably around, 19 or 20 okay yeah scary times that's that's pretty late yeah, yeah I like i was, said it was it was yeah. really late like i was playing drums and bands anu i've been playing and, i wasn't really singing and, and well and no i take that back i was uh, i we uh had a vocal coach in uh the band, the rock the, the, the punkabilly band that i played drums in what? and um yeah we we actually that was that was actually how that was when i kind of learned how to sing is, is we had a manager whose girlfriend was a vocal coach and just started giving us lessons. And that's how, that was how I learned how to harmonize. Uh, so, so let's talk about that a little bit. What, what okay. was that experience like? Uh, did you feel like what, what, when you started singing, were people like, wow, this guy's got a great voice. He should be a singer. Or was it a process? Uh, d- did you want to be a singer? Uh, how did you get there? And then what sort of things do you remember from those early voice lessons? So I've always wanted to be a singer. Like I'd always like from the early stage, from the time you know, I, those stories I told you guys about, where I was watching the Beatles on Saturday morning. I always kind of fancied my, fancied myself like being a front guy someday, being a Paul McCartney or a Keith Partridge, 
you know, when, when the Partridge family was around. Like, I, you know, I would watch that stuff and go, oh, I want to be that guy. Um, it, it took playing bass in a punk band, then playing drums in a punk band, then playing drums in a rockabilly band that turned into a punkabilly band that happened to get a vocal coach. <laughs> uh, and then, and then playing in a few more bands, uh, playing drums in a few more bands, keyboards and a bunch of basically i just i i kind of went on this path on you where i i i figured that if i was going to be the front man that and maybe this was this was maybe the prince influence i i just kind of figured that i had to be good at every instrument because because i something i learned something very at a very very young age as a drummer playing and playing band, drums and bands um i often disliked the front man because the front man didn't uh, didn't know how to communicate to other people he didn't know how to communicate he didn't didn't know how to speak speak music to other people and he sure shit more often than not sure shit didn't know how to explain how they wanted a drum part to go on a break always made me fucking crazy so um i I think through that experience i I figured i want to be a front man someday but i sure shit be able i I feel like i I don't want to be that guy that's going no do the da 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 or make it sound like water here do do hit that tom tom you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be that fucking guy. So I didn't try to do anything in the way of fronting a band until I felt like I was ready. And, and, it, and I wasn't ready until I was in Penal Colony. And even then, it was kind of like it was that happened kind of at the good graces of, of a couple of people in the band that, that, uh, that just outvoted the other, the, the other members. Because I, I still wasn't really there, but I could, I, could talk, I could walk the walk and I could talk the talk. And, and, and the people that wanted me in the band uh, recognized that. <laughs> so it worked out. But, I, you know, I mean, really, I didn't, I didn't really sing in a band until Pinnacle. And I was like fucking 26, 27 by the time I did that. So it was, it was a long, long path to get there. And when, when you were in the, uh, the Punkabilly band, what sort of lessons or like tips or things did you learn there? And do you, does that stuff still feel valid to you? Oh, I still use it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of Mr. Miyagi kind of wax on, wax on stuff. Like seriously, like for the, fr- I, I'll, I'll never forget it for like the first month or something like that, that we would go. So, so we would, we, we would meet with her like once or twice a week and she would just like pick out one of our songs. <coughs> no, no, she didn't even start there. She started with vocal exercises. So for like the first month it was breathing exercises um, enunciation exercises, fa 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 la 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 ta 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 ta, doing a lot of that crap, um, and just doing that every day, to the point that you know we were kids, man. We were like, what the fuck? You know, at, at some point, I know that we all went like, okay, what the fuck are you trying to do? Why are you making us do this? Because we just want to learn how to harmonize with each other. And you know, she did the Mr. Miyagi thing. She goes, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Just stay with me. Just keep doing this. And then after she did all the breathing stuff, then it was another week of, it was another couple of weeks of trying to figure out all of our ranges mm. so that she could figure out who, who could do what. And it turned out um, at the time, um, years of two packs a day cigarette smoking has, has ravaged this uh, quite a bit. But <laughs> at the time, I ended up emerging as the guy that could sing the high parts. And I think that had a lot to do with 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 uh, 
with uh, high school years singing along with Hunky Dory and, and Ziggy Stardust and, and all of the, the early Bowie stuff. Just just mm. singing along with that stuff, you know, like and trying to reach those notes. Um, <coughs> she had us do a bunch of different things to, to try to figure out what our ranges were. And she was like, okay, well, you're, you're the guy that's going to do the high parts. Went, okay. So I, you know, we would do, we would often do like three-part harmonies and I was usually the guy singing the octave up. Mm. That's how and it I, went. And I, I still like the breathing stuff she taught me. The breathing stuff she taught me, the, uh, how to uh, use the diaphragm. And she just, you know, she did, she did a lot of good things. She, you know, she got, got us all into the mindset of like, you know, vocal cords are just an instrument, just like any other instrument. They're not, they're not uh, you know, you don't, you don't just talk with them. You, have, you really kind of have to think of, think of them as an instrument. And she spent a lot of time getting us to make that mental shift and, uh, and just learning how to breathe and just learning how to force wind, you know, through the vocal cords in a controlled way. She spent a lot of time with us doing that. And I, I still use a lot of that stuff. Mm. How about you, Michael? When, when do you first remember, uh, starting to sing and hearing your voice recorded? And when did you want to become a singer or, or, or do you think of yourself as a singer? Yeah, that's a great question. I think of myself, uh, more of a singer now. I mean, I always was like guitar player, bass player, musician, guy, but never really a singer. I could sing background vocals. I remember the first band I got into and, you know, it was just kind of, all right, you know, we need, we need some background vocals here, what we're thinking, some shout stuff, chant stuff, or like, you know, harmonies and things. And I, I, I came to it pretty quickly because I studied music kind of really early on and I was always in like, the school bands, like in jazz band, especially with a guitar trying to play with like horn parts. And I was like, you know, I was just trying to really zone, look, zone into like uh, the different sections of, of parts and like how to harmonize those and play with them, but not step all over that stuff. And I think that's sort of the early original training for my ear started coming into that. I think the first time I ever saying anything i think a friend of mine had a four track at his house it always comes back to the four track right so anyway we went over there and we would just we would just fuck around we were like total like van halen friends and like all this weird stuff we would listen to and and we would just do these like strange recordings where we would like press record and stop and record and stop and record and we would like hit notes and like do stuff and it was just making sound making noise that, that was probably the first time i ever recorded myself doing it but it wasn't like a proper like oh i'm gonna try and sing all the parts you know or i'm gonna try and sing lead to this i would definitely sing along to whatever i was listening to or try to and i you know pretty early on realized i i don't have freddie mercury's range i don't have david lee roth's range uh and you know all the singers that i was hearing or any of the stuff on the radio i was like i could kind of eke stuff out but I think, you know, just my own sort of self-esteem held me back. I think that has a lot to do with it for me. It's just like, you know, can I commit to this, to singing a part? And uh, I think commitment has a lot to do with it. I learned it more quickly with guitar because after I got into first bands and starting to try stuff on guitar that was very different. And I would 
I would be like de facto harmony guy. I could I didn't sing very high, but I could I knew where the notes were and I was pretty consistent about it. And I could hide inside that. You know what I mean? I was never like the guy that everyone was staring at. And uh I thought maybe someday that would be nice to have that kind of uh where you're the front person, but I also know that comes with a lot of flack too. I mean, then cuz then you're the guy that everyone's paying attention to. So if you fuck up, then it's all on you. If you're the guitar player, they're like, you know, oh, it's the guitar player. Not, not a big deal. You know, just like, ah. So I think a lot of it was sort of a commitment, self-esteem and all that stuff. And it took me a long time. I mean, the stuff I'm doing now uh, took a long time to get to. Um, and I've gotten better at recording and sort of trying to understand my range. And I'm still you know, beginning to understand what my range is and sort of where where my voice sounds good. And uh, when I try and sing too high, it's just like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing, Michael? You know, because it just doesn't work. It doesn't sound like it belongs there, you know. But there's a kind of a range. I have sort of a smoother middle range to lower range that's pretty good. <clears throat> and I think when I really... I took this... Uh, this Ryan Tedder class on monthly.com. I think I told you guys about that. And it's like hit, hit songwriting and uh, production. And so you record some stuff. You kind of take those techniques and you record some back backtracks and then you sing some stuff on it. And uh, I found out really fast just like how out of shape my voice was and like I couldn't go to it quickly and hit the notes and do the thing. And then another class came up from Stevie Mackey and, uh, on monthly.com and he's he's a singer and a singing coach and I thought well there's my next class I already knew it before I even finished the other one and I took that and that was really helpful to understand that it's just an instrument you know it's just a noisemaker is how he came to it and I thought oh it's a noisemaker it's like my guitar I can make all sorts of different kinds of noises with it to evoke an emotion or a response or whatever and so then, you know, I was started to go to practice every day with my my uh, voice, you know, 10 or 12 minutes a day. There's like these real simple uh, sort of exercises. And I still do that every day. And that was really, really helpful. So just for self-confidence and going like, oh, I could probably sing that, you know, and, and, and then try it. Um, now, getting a performance out of it, which I think is what I had talked to you about, Anu, like, how do you get like a proper, really like... Uh, a moment, like a performance where you're like, oh, that's the one. It's not perfect, but it's like, that was great. Like it captures the spirit of what it is. And that's sort of a whole other level of, can you sing well? And if you, what was interesting about that particular class too, uh, the Stevie Mackey class was he had two different people that he worked with. One was just like a karaoke guy who would just, he would sing and his voice was pretty good, but it was kind of karaoke style and un, a little wild, you know? And then the other person was like a classically trained person. And it was very much like theater voice, which is very specific. And everything was directly like right on the note. And there was no sort of like fade away. It was not, wasn't like a rock and roll sort of approach. And so he talked about that. You know, he said, you want to let go of some of the ends of those lines. Let go of them. Just like drop it out. You don't have to hit it so hard. And that vibrato, watch the vibrato, because they're like, oh, you know, that super specific thing. So that was really helpful, too, to get a perspective of like, okay, where do I fit in all this? And then it was just practicing. 
and trying to sing along and record uh, tracks from other people, like really trying to mimic and imitate other singers. And that was a big part of that class. And that was really helpful because immediately I was, you know, I would try something and go, oh, yeah, I'm still not Freddie Mercury. I'm going to try this other thing. Elvis Costello. Yeah, I fit in that range, you know, uh, even like Stone Temple Pilots, like I can sort of fit in that range, you know, and that guy's got a great voice, too. But anyway, so that's that was really like my latest and greatest on uh, still trying to find my voice. But uh, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Capturing the performance is another thing. Like, does it serve the song? Like, did I hit the notes? Yeah, I can hit the notes, but did it serve the song? Did it have that sort of that magic X factor thing where you're like, whoa, that was great. The whole thing was great with the vocal. So anyway, that was a long ass answer to your question, but those are some of my earlier memories. Oh, and singing into a microphone, terrifying until you get used to it. And then it was like, oh, okay, I know where I fit in all of this. So yeah, if I have totally. a little practice and understanding, it helps. Do, do you, uh, you know, D, I know you've fronted a band before and you've released records where you're, you're singing, Michael, do you think of yourself as a, a singer or a front person? Do you think that that is your primary, primary music identity or is it like a thing you do? I'm moving toward having it be primary. Yeah. I played some shows before of my own stuff, a couple of them, not many. And woof, I barely remember them. I was so terrified and I guess they were okay. People gave me feedback and go, wow, that was really great. And I'm like, I don't even remember. I don't even know what happened. So I wasn't present in the moment with it. And that's really what I want to work toward is like enjoying singing for, a, you know, a project. Or even doing it on my own, even just with a guitar and doing it at home. Just like, did I enjoy that? And I'm, I'm much better at it than I was. So in terms of my enjoyment of it. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I, I really am moving in that direction. Um. Band leader, okay. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah, I. Uh, so as far as as far as me, I got a um, tape recorder, like a cassette office dictation machine that somebody gave me when I was like four or five years old, and it had a microphone. And I uh, initially started doing things like recording vinyl records from my dad's stereo by holding up the microphone to it. But eventually, mm. of course, got around to experimenting with with talking a bit and got used to the idea that like the voice that I hear resonating in my head isn't the same voice sound that comes out of, uh, you know, a recording, even in that kind of, of crummy context. And my mom is a very good mimic. And that's something that I don't know if it's, you know, sort of genetic or whatever, but I, my, both my brother and I picked that skill up of being pretty good at, at, at mimicking or impersonating uh, other voices or doing funny voices. And I think like, like, uh, like D, I, I kind of knew I wanted to be a, a rock singer or some kind of singer pretty early on. There was something about the emotional freedom and, um, you know, the excitement and this idea that like you could, you could transmit feelings just by doing something with your voice. But, uh, unlike a lot, a lot of other kids, I didn't start in choir, you know, I went into band and I was originally a drummer and then an oboe player. And I saw all the kids that were doing, you know, choir or glee club or whatever. And I was just like, something about that whole scene doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really resonate. You know, I actually, I, I did, I can't even remember how it happened, but I did choir for a little bit in elementary school too. And same takeaway. It was just, I kind of looked around and went, I shouldn't 
be here. I don't know about this. this. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, granted, you know, teenager or whatever, and everything is, is different now. But, um, when I was a, a kid, uh, like when I started playing in my first new wave band, when I was 15 or 16, um, I knew that I didn't have like what it took to be the lead singer, either in terms of confidence or actual singing skills. But from watching the guy who was the lead singer, uh, it was a, who was a, a friend of mine. I was like, well, this seems like it's doable. I mean, he's a good singer, but he's not like doing anything that I can't. And once I had a car and uh, could start driving around, I had a cassette deck in the car and I was singing along with stuff all the time. And eventually I was like, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm good, but I'm not bad. <laughs> and I can sort of sound like these guys. And it wasn't until college I finally started a band, uh, a, a new band of my own when I was starting to play guitar. And we had a, I was probably 18, 19. We had a rehearsal and we were trying to figure out like, what are we going to do for a singer? And for the time being, I was just like one of the people stepping up to the mic. And after first or second rehearsal, the other guitar player was like, you're a great singer. You're the singer now. Um, <laughs> and at that point I was like, okay, well I should probably take some lessons uh, because we were doing these gigs. These were college gigs where it's like we're playing at frat parties and things like that. And they're two or three hours long. We're doing wow. 40 songs in a set and I'm blowing my voice out, you know, every time to the point where I can barely talk the next day. Um, and uh, I, when I was home on uh, vacation, I, I took some voice lessons from like a, a like an opera slash show tunes kind of person. Like this is all sort of pre-internet days. So it's like, how do you how do you even find a voice teacher? You get out like the yellow pages or you talk to friends of friends. Um, and I took, took enough lessons to learn a little bit about breath control and things like that. And by the end of my college years, by the time I was 21, uh, I at least could get through, you know, those kinds of like three hour, 40 song sets without, Ooh. without generally like being totally wrecked at the end of it. If we had two shows on a weekend, the second one would be a little rough but I was like, okay, I can kind of do this. And I had pretty good tone and, and things like that. And then I moved to Los Angeles, uh, to, uh, like, like we all did, to, to be a big star. And that was when I started running up against the limitations of what my voice could do or what I could do with my voice and what I thought I wanted to do with it. And what I thought I wanted to do was to be a very like screamy, aggressive nine inch nails metalish kind of a singer because back in the early nineties, like that was the thing, right? That's what everybody was doing. Yeah. Um, and it was just really, really tough. Um, I struggled for many years, basically trying to make my voice do stuff that I felt like it couldn't do and felt like every time I got in front of the mic, it was scary as hell because I knew that the other guy in the band wasn't going to like what I was doing and it was going to be a, a fucking ordeal. And I was really hating recording vocals. It was like, even for demos, it was like take mm. after take after take of like chasing whatever he thought I was supposed to sound like. Yeah. And around that time, uh, I was like, well, I, I just, I don't feel like I can do this anymore. I can't enjoy it. And I started, uh, I found a voice teacher, a guy named David Gabriel, who had a little office in one of those old buildings on like Hollywood and Vine. Um, and I, I met with him and I basically said, hey, I'm going to pay you for two lessons right now. Here's the cash. Uh, I, I want to do a lesson today. And at the end of it, I want you to tell me if like I'm, I actually am a good singer or not, or like if I have a good voice or if I'm wasting my time. 
And I'm like, I don't, I don't really care either way, but you know, if, if, if I'm trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, like let's just get this out of the way. And at the end of that first lesson, he's like, yeah, you have a really good voice and you have a lot of the basics, but you need a little work. And I studied with him once, once a week for, I don't know, four or five years. And he, he was the guy that got me to a place of feeling confident with what I could actually do. And by the end of that, I was occasionally doing pickup gigs uh, with a local cover band called the M80s when their singer was not available, where it was like, oh, I got to go and do another like two hour, 40 song set imitating all of these different uh, other singers. And I, I still remember the first gig I got, I was super nervous um, mm. because it was like, this is the first time I'm going to be just a front man, not hiding behind a guitar. Uh, I'm going to be having to sing for a long time in front of a very critical audience. Is my voice going to hold out? Am I going to be able to do it, etc.? I, I went to my car in the parking lot of the venue or whatever and like warmed up for 20 minutes mm. and then went out there on stage and I killed it. Mm. Absolutely killed it. And that was, the, I was probably by that time in my late 20s and that was the first time I was like, I'm a singer. Mm. You know, I can do this. Um, that said... I still struggle with, you know, okay, maybe I'm a technically proficient singer in that I can hit the notes most of the time, uh, you know, first couple of takes. And, um, and the tone of my voice is at least like resonant and nice. It's not like thin and nasty or, or super nasal or whatever. But the thing that I continue that, you know, I'm a lot older than that now, uh, every take I still worry about like, well, is it, is it emotional? Is it any good? Am I actually conveying something or am I just like a uh, voice sequencer where I'm hitting all the notes and they're correct and it's on rhythm, but it just, it, it doesn't, it's, it's inert. It doesn't have any emotional valence. So anyway, that, that that's for me. So it's a good segue into, um, uh, and, and I will again note D David Gabriel was the guy who taught me everything that, uh, most of what I know about singing. And you know, he died a couple years ago uh, before he got to hear any of sort of my late period oh, stuff no. where I really, uh, really feel like I've come into my own. And at this point, I do feel like I am a, a good singer. Uh, I do think of that as sort of my primary instrument. I'm still not as good as I'd like to be. Um, but from, from your guys' perspective, what makes a good singer? Who are some singers that you think are good? And maybe some who you think are not good that other people think are good. Oh, mm. well, real quick before we move on. David Gabriel, was this like the Chris Cornell fan guy he was really like into chris cornell and he was really fantastic he I, was really fantastic i think he i think he liked chris cornell because i mean chris cornell a fantastic singer and a guy who did all kinds of stuff the, the thing i remember about david gabriel first of all david was a pretty great singer himself he was kind of shy and he was also very reluctant to talk about his other students and i you know it was maybe i'd been studying with him for 18 months or something before i you know actually was able to get through to and be like, well, you know, have you, have you taught anybody like famous, <laughs> you know, like if you worked yeah. with like, real people or is it just wannabes like me? And one of the people that he had, uh, one of the, the many people he had worked with was some dude named Axel Rose uh, <clears throat> uh, before, before Guns N' Roses got big. And, you know, he didn't like to talk about any of that stuff because he didn't want people trying to like make connections or whatever. But yeah, he knew Axel and he was a pretty big David, uh, uh, Chris Cornell fan, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think I actually took some lessons from him. That's why when you said his name, I went, 
I could never remember his name. And I think I probably got his number from you. And he was down off of like Vine and Hollywood Boulevard and one of those. Yeah, he was in like one of those office buildings on the corner here. I'll throw a little link in the chat here. Oh, I'm sad. I didn't know he passed away. He was the nicest guy. Yeah, okay, great. So thank you. That handles that little mystery for me, David Gabriel. Yeah, I recommend. I ended up recommending him to a whole bunch of people. My my buddy Cosmo Jones, I think, also took a couple lessons with him. Um, you know, he was a he was a great teacher. He was very supportive, and um, you know, wasn't one of these people who's like, "This is the way that you have to sing." He's like, "I'm going to teach you how to sing the way that you want with the voice you got." Yeah, I remember he was he was he would talk about sort of the all the stuff on the inside that was going on, like your diaphragm and all the physical stuff, like the machine that's inside of us and like how to work that. And I was exhausted after every single one. And he's like, it takes a lot of energy, but you'll get it. You'll get it. It was very, very encouraging. So anyway, thank you for. (laughs) Yeah. And and so the other thing I guess I'll toss out there before we move on is that, um, you know, I've I've made reference a couple of times to an illness that I've had uh, on the podcast. And one of the things that that's resulted in is getting to a place where my voice doesn't work the way that it, it did four or five years ago. Mm. It doesn't have the same power or precision or stamina. And uh, I started taking voice lessons again and have been taking lessons uh, from uh, over the internet uh, during the pandemic uh, to kind of learn how to sing all over again. And it's sort of like taking guitar lessons. I don't know that you ever get to a place where you're like, I don't need lessons anymore. I'm great. You talk to you talk to any of the top-notch guitar players, they're still taking lessons from somebody. They're still practicing. Yeah. So I've been working on a bunch of things of basically, I used to be a very loud singer. Hmm. And uh, now I'm learning basically to sing at speech volume. Um, and uh, it's helping a lot, but it is a huge challenge to kind of change 20 years of, of habits yeah. Well, yeah. So, what makes a good what makes a good singer? What are singers you think are good or bad? Well, one thing I was going to say was, you know, and I've been listening to a lot of different singers recently. You know, I'm I'm working on that song with you on it, and I'm just like, who is this guy? Who's the Who's the one singing here? And so I'm trying to find this voice for this thing, and um, I think the people I'm drawn to are people that have kind of a signature. You know, they have their thing that you do and they're kind of, and I always aspired to that. Oh, if I played guitar in a particular way, people go, oh yeah, that's your thing. That's what you do. You're, that's great. You know, or if you sing a certain way and I, the stuff, some of the stuff I've been doing, I played for a few friends and they're like, oh, it's kind of very Elvis costello And I'm like, I obsessed over Elvis Costello for years and tried to sing like him and just like, and my vocal range fits in there. But I think it's that personality, believability for me, like do I, but when I would go see bands and like, I'm not, maybe I'm not a fan of the band, but I'm like, I believe that singer. Like I'm kind of afraid of him. That person is like fantastic, you know, like they have their thing that they do. So, you know, all the big, obviously all the big singers that are out there uh, that are like more rock and roll singers. I don't know, the pop stuff I can kind of get into, you know, some of the signature sounds of some of those things. Like you can, some of them, you could definitely know who it is when they start, but more in the rock and roll world where I was, I could listen to particular singers like Axl Rose. Obviously you're just going to go, Oh, we know exactly who that is. The, you know, the sort of Lane Staley's and all those like rock guys, uh, you could, they kind of have a signature thing that they do. 
David Bowie, you know, people like that. It's kind of you, you, once you hear the voice, you're like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. No matter what style or uh, mask they put on. Um, so that's what really counts for me is, you know, do it's not so much about the crazy range, which I love too, but, you know, do they have something where I'm just, I'm fascinated by it or interested in it for, I can't quite explain it, some kind of magic. What about you, D? I've, well, so, so on the screen front, the thing you said about, about Trent, you know, like when I heard Nine Inch Nails for the first time, it just sounded to me like, like Chavo from Black Flag. And so, um, Chavo, I mean, early on, as far as like screamers go, definitely like Chavo from Black Flag, the guy that sang Black Flag before Henry, um, Tony Adolescent, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, was was uh, was a big influence on the screamer front. Um, Iggy, of course, and then and then uh, you know when when I got older, I just I, I I grew into being a big sucker for the gravelly baritone uh, yeah. Leonard Cohen kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you know Nick Cave, Mark Lanigan, fucking love Mark Lanigan, like all yeah, the solo stuff voice. Mark Lanigan did. Rest in peace, Mark. Um, and then Bowie, of course, Bo- Bowie for harmonies. You know, I still pick apart his recordings just to listen to how he harmonizes with himself. Same for Prince, Prince, same thing. Um, especially that the, the Prince stuff that went when uh, I I just always loved. I always loved the the harmony work he would do with Wendy and Lisa. I really missed that when when he when he bounced in the Revolution. Um, I, I don't think he ever really had a version of that in my mind after after he got rid of that group. I just felt like what what those three did together were, was magic. Um, and it, and then there's you know like singer songwriter like female singer. There's a lot of female singer singer songwriters I just fucking love like PJ Harvey, um, Gillian Welch. I Gillian Welch's Time the Revelator album I still play the shit out oh, of all man. the time. That's and it's one of those albums I'll pull out and like I'll be in the room with somebody. And invariably, if someone's never heard of it, they'll go like, what the fuck is this? I go, it's Gillian Welsh, man. Um, love that album. Um, and then, uh, like, for sort of character, I, 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 for, uh, there's there's people that just have, have a character, kind of like what Michael was talking about, that, just, that are just really good with melody, that, where they clearly think a lot about melody. And the person that comes to mind for that with me who I've been listening to a lot of just his solo stuff and even, even going back to bands he was in before is Damon Albarn. Um, I, I just think Damon Albarn is just, is just a massively prolific genius and he doesn't have a, he doesn't really have a great voice, but he's, he's one of those people that clearly knows his range and, and, and just, it just milks it for everything it's worth, you know, and always, always managed to, to extract, um, interesting things out of it. And then on the pop front, Weekend. Um, I was into Weekend going all the way back to, to the first three three EPs. Um, and uh, I even, no, I, uh, more power to him for being as big as he is now because he's he just has just an amazing voice. And the stuff that he did initially, like all the bedroom stuff he did is just, is still fucking great. It's, it, you know, it, it's, he's one of those people that became successful that you still feel connected with in an indie kind of way, if that makes sense. You know, like he makes good decisions creatively. Like he worked with Daft Punk. He just, he just does cool shit, you know? And, and it's just cool to see 
how big he's gotten um, and how big he's gotten by just remaining true to himself, by just still being the guy that, that did those first recordings. <clears throat> yeah. Do you guys watch any of those like uh, American Idol shows or? Uh, no, I, I hate those shows. I, I hate them. And, and part of why I hate them is that, uh, first of all, I think that they take art or creativity and they turn it into a, a contest. Yeah. You know, who is the best? with winners and losers. And fundamentally, I, I, I reject that framing of things. Mm. Uh, the other thing is that it is very clear that their idea of the best is a pretty narrow and showy and superficial concept of what makes a good singer. Um, and I also don't like that it's basically a front for the machine for generating you know, a new disposable uh, pop star. Um, you know, I, I, it's nice that they are focusing attention on different people singing and stuff like that, but it, it just, I don't know, there's something about, and, and granted, again, you know, I'm of a particular demographic and age and set of aesthetic pr preferences, but it kind of enrages me that they take something like art or creativity and they're like, you're bad, you're good, you know, in, in, in that way. where it, And it's, it's not tied to things like, creativity or uh, emotion or whatever. It's uh, melisma and uh, a kind of a character to the voice and the performance and and, and an eye towards uh, putting somebody on, on some disposable pop singles. It always, it, I always, it always makes me grind my teeth a little bit, a little bit when I watch those shows and, and the, uh, the judges go, oh, you're real artists now. You're doing some real artists. It's like, fuck you, man. That, what, 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 because they sang somebody else's fucking song? No. Not. <laughs> Always makes me insane. Oh, I love you guys. Yeah, it is interesting. It's very niche. You know, it's like it's a very specific, like, that's why they call it the voice instead of the artist. You know, it's very much, it fits into a very specific little hole there for them to put that in. And you're right. It is like a, a machine. I've I've watched it on and off because I'm always like, <clears throat> I hear something like my my girl will watch it and uh, and I'm like, wow, what was that? I come in from the other room and I'm like, what just happened? That was kind of amazing. Um, and every season there's like these amazing singers that come on there, and then there's a whole bunch of hoo ha's, and then everything in between. And some of that's it's definitely it's all just you know entertainment fodder and all that junk and. But occasionally these people come through and there's a whole lot of artists who have careers out of those shows. And I'm just like, I, I wouldn't survive. There's no way I would survive. I'd go up there and well, they go, wow, okay, Elvis Costello. Well, you know, you don't get the golden ticket this year, but uh, come back next year and just work on your your guitar playing and <laughs> or whatever. So so on that, when you when you really think about it, though, Michael, the, the, the people that had success on those shows were pre-internet streaming people like nobody nobody since since the advent of spotify and apple music and all and 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 uh, anu's former home rhapsody um have any of those shows really produced anybody that's gone on to have any success no, nobody on the voice like nobody in the voice ever carrie underwood uh, carrie underwood was on um american idol same thing no it's not the same thing it's not the same thing because American Idol start, started before The Voice. By the time The Voice happened, the internet happened, and, and you know, and they just do these fucking weird deals with New Republic, and you never see anybody anymore. 
So you do watch the shows? I I watch The Voice. Yeah, I, I, I do. No, I I used to watch The Voice for a while. It was just something Hazel and I would do. You yeah. Know? It's just, just a new excuse to, to yell at the screen and, and to not think about work. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and, and you know, some of the singers they get on there for the kind of pop stuff that they do are fine. But I, like I said, for, for me, it is it is very clear that they're like aiming for something that is also usually very much like what the judge is like. There's not really anything surprising, et cetera. But, uh, you know, like, like you were saying, Michael, from my perspective, I think, uh, kind of the, uh, the number one thing that makes a singer good for me is this kind of sense of like, uh, are, are they selling it? Right. Are they, are they convincing? And as you say, it's personality or believability. What I often tell people about singing is that, from my perspective, singing is 80% commitment, right? Like, uh, it's 80% commitment, 15% practice and technique, and maybe 5% the voice you were born with. What do you mean and, by commitment? Uh, like, uh, in, in acting terms, like, are you committed to the performance? Are you oh, uninhibited? Okay. Are you emotionally invested? Um, you know, like... Yeah, that's connected fair. In, like, that's fair. T- take someone like Adam Ant, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Adam Ant is a guy who you could argue does not have a particularly good voice from a technical perspective. He's a little pitchy, his voice is a little reedy, and yet he was bigger than Michael Jackson in the early 80s uh, because when he is singing whatever ridiculous thing he's doing, he is 110%. He's all in. All in. And And when you heard, if you heard him in interviews at the time, he, he. fully believed in all of the shit he was saying and it, you know yeah. or or at least in the so, interviews was was uh was adding to it and covering it up and yeah. and that that lessons kind of rediscovering him in the 90s as i was trying to figure out how to be a better singer was sort of realizing like oh here's this guy and he he is just he's he's going for it he doesn't care if he looks ridiculous uh he's doing it and I think there is something about that that for, perhaps for people who tend to be maybe a little more cerebral, like yours truly, um, <laughs> being, uh, being unafraid to show your emotional self or that kind of direct connection in a way that is either supremely self-confident or, or clueless can, can be a real challenge. And yet, I think that is precisely what makes singers connect for lots of people. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. about... Can you hit the notes? Do you have a nice voice? It's that does the total effect uh, convey something? It's kind of like if, if we wanted to continue the acting, there's plenty of actors out there who aren't traditionally pretty, and yet we we love to see them. Uh, we want to see them uh, win. Willem Dafoe. Lose. Yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe. Char- character uh, actress. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, that said, you know, I also do think that most singers should be able to at least hit enough of the notes that whatever pitchiness is going on doesn't pull you out of the performance. And right. uh, well, you tell know, you you tell Marky e. Smith that, Mister. Oh boy. Well, he's he's a very special singer uh, with his own style, uh, and that was one of the other things I'd mention is that I think the best singers have. Uh, a personality or character that comes through. And it might be vocal tics. It might be their timbre. It might be the way that they sure. choose to phrase things. I, I have often said that if you can't, if someone can't make fun of how you sing, you probably aren't singing distinctively enough. Well said. Well said. Um, yeah. You know, by extension, by extension, what you're say, saying, Anu, about, about, about the commitment part, um, something I was thinking about as you were talking to Michael about being a front man, one of the biggest things that I learned about being a front man uh, particularly in live performance, uh, 
is that it's it's seventy percent MC, which is which is in in and of itself a form of commitment. Yeah, you 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 have to you have to be an MC and you have to you have to sell the persona, and that is almost more important than actually singing it on key, depend, depending on the kind of band you're in. Uh, a- absolutely, a- absolutely. That um, you know the the best front people uh, are are able to. Uh, it, it is like doing a one-man show or something where you can see that they are grabbing the audience and they're saying, okay, first I'm going to move you over here feeling-wise, and now I'm going to move you over here and come on this journey with me, and, and they're able to do that. Um, and, and for me, ultimately, one of the ways that I was able to finally, I think, get in that was to uh, put on a mask um, of sorts and basically allow myself to be uninhibited because I could pretend to be somebody other than uh, Anu Kirk. Um all right, so we, we agree that like this sort of personality and character and stuff matters. So you guys have all produced and recorded at least yourselves and presumably uh, some other folks. What makes a good take? How do you know a take is good? How many takes do you typically... Let's talk about your uh, recording process. Like, when do you know you have a good take? How many takes do you do? Do you comp? Should we talk about what comping is? You know, any of those types of things. Like, uh, why don't one of you guys explain to our listeners how most recorded vocals are done these days because i think a lot of people still think that the singers is standing in front of the microphone in real time rolling through the song once and nailing it in a single take and then walking out of the room yeah yeah that doesn't that that left with 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 technology i have yeah i have i'll tell you this story later but it's a frank sinatra story <clears throat> on that one note one take thing but i don't know i think for me I'll just start with myself. So singing my own parts, if I'm writing them and trying to sing them, I'm kind of writing, I'm doing it piecemeal, right? So I'm like trying to come up with some melodies first. So I'll kind of sing in a gibberish around it, or I'll try and find a melody, you know, that's in my head. And I'll just have a microphone on and record stuff. And it doesn't have to make sense. And it's not going to be pretty until there's a piece in there where I go, oh, that's interesting. What's that? Whether I've written the lyrics or not, you know, it depends because everyone has a different writing process. And for me, at least present day, is I have to sort of spit out this, you know, gobbledygook into a microphone until I find something. Sometimes a melody comes right to me and then I'll start to like, okay, oh, there's the melody for the verse part now. That makes a lot of sense. And then you can finesse from there. That's that's kind of how I like to approach it. So I'm really crafting a melody and a performance as I go. And it helps to build the confidence, too, of like, oh, okay, this all this has a flow to it from, you know, top, middle, and end. And uh, that's all just kind of a messy, you know, like just throwing paint on a canvas and going like, I don't know about that blue. And, you know, and then put some orange on it and go, oh, now the blue makes sense, you know, and finding parts and having at least a rough sketch to sing to. A few times, I think we talked about this briefly before, I had a dream about a a melody and a song and a lyric, and I woke up and I was like, oh my God, this has only happened once or twice. And I got up and I grabbed a guitar and I had a little tape recorder and I recorded it. I have to find it. I know I still have it, but it was like this, just this wild idea. It was beautiful too. And it was very specific. And that's rare, you know? 
Uh, but I think in terms of like performing and capturing for myself, I need to really rehearse it and rehearse it until I really get it, you know. And I think for most bands, even in the past bands I've been in, where we've gone in to record, sometimes the singer was, uh, the lyrics weren't even done. There was kind of a, a melody <clears throat> and a meter to it, but the lyrics weren't totally there. He would come in the day before or the day of and going, oh, fuck, I just finished the lyrics for this. And I'm like, holy Christ, really? Right now? And I'm, But I always trusted him. He performed like that, too, as my buddy Brian. And it, you never knew what was going to happen, but you always knew it was going to be compelling. And I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about is like, he's got a thing he's confident in, even in his lack of confidence to some degree. But he'll show up and like, just by sheer force of will, something will come out of him and it'll just, and those, some, those are some of the best takes I think I've ever done or recorded of other people is where it's like almost there. We're not quite sure. And you just roll the tape. And you're just like, just do it, you know? And you're just like, the urgency of it comes through in a way that can't quite be explained. And most of the time, you know, if the performers are like reasonably comfortable with their skill set, something will come out that wasn't going to come out even if it was super well rehearsed or figured out or planned. Those are my favorite takes. Those are like the, the happy mistakes. And even for myself, I think like all this stuff on that EP I've been working on, uh, I had a reasonably good idea, I think, about what the melodies were going to be, and I had the words all written out, and I listened to the performances now, and I'm like, that was maybe like two takes, and uh, and almost no editing, and there's a few, it, it was just like, it was right, and I, and I can't quite explain it other than I'm in a studio, and I need to do this right now, because now is the time. There's an engineer, there's band people like listening and waiting, and just like, I need to get this done. And I know, D, you've talked about that, and Anu, it's just like, I just need to fucking get this thing done. And it causes something to, like, uh, it it squeezes out a performance, I think, that can't happen any other way. So there's a little bit of that. Um, uh, the urgency comes out of, like, sheer necessity. Like, a do little you, bit of fear, a little bit of, like, oh, my God. Do, do you think that that, that fear distracts you and gets you out of your head a little bit so that you're not so focused on because I, th I think for a lot of singers what happens yeah. is in a band context or performing their their head is occupied and so they are able to just kind of do it and nail it but then you put them in a studio which is a pretty artificial environment you put headphones on them and now all of a sudden it's like they're staring at their own face really intently in the mirror and it's super uncomfortable and they start getting yeah. self-conscious and and pitchy and not singing right um and and this, this i think happens a lot with singers and i wonder if if you if there's something to this notion that like uh, when the red light's on and you're thinking, oh, man, I got to nail this, there is oh, some yeah. extra adrenaline and some distraction and it gets you out of that. Con conversely, I do think that there's also a tremendous advantage in being able to work on stuff at home where you can try all sorts of different things and listen back to it and think about what's working and what's not working and, and so forth. But it, So uh, what, what about you, Dee? What do you think about all this? I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have that nervousness about getting in front of a microphone to, to record. What I do have, just thinking about the, the commitment thing you were talking about, Anu, is 
is is I do try to work method track by track. So before I sit down to record something, I read back through the lyrics a couple times to try to remember what I was thinking about. Uh, and then try to summon um, some array of emotions that that uh, that were going through my mind or, or going through my head when I wrote it the first time, and uh, and then I just do my best to to um, try to do something with my voice to translate that 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 hopefully translates to what it was I was trying to say when I wrote the thing down. It's it's more about that. Now I get I I get reticent and I and I kind of shuffle around the house and I put it and I procrastinate mostly because sometimes depending on the song I just don't want to put myself in that headspace. Mm. You know what I mean? Emotion. Like I just because I just uh, I I'm not looking forward to it. You know it, it's like especially if it's something sad or it's or it's summoning something traumatic yeah. then then I have to relive the trauma and and I I'm not I don't always enjoy doing that. I pretty much never do, but uh, I, I know that I have to force myself to do it. Um, for me, it's like if if I have so so, I comp the shit out of out of most stuff. Um, typically, I'll take I'll, I'll track in a loop and and just keep tracking until until I, I get something. I get a, I get a few passes of something that sounds like stuff that I I can make use of. That sounds like it's. It's um, it's 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 triggering the stuff that I want it to trigger that it's that it's resonating the way I want it to, and then and then uh, and then I comp the shit out of it. So it, it's it I comp the shit out of it, but depends. It depends on the song. It depends on the song. It depends on the complexity of of the vocal melody. Sometimes if I'm trying to do something that's that's tricky melody wise, then then. I'll do some crazy ass comping. I'll I'll comp down to the fucking syllable. Uh, so to for, get for our casual it. listeners who may not know what comping is, most vocals these days are recorded on multiple uh, successive tracks in in kind of like a stack, um, where you can do, let's say, for the sake of argument, ten different passes at the vocal line. You're singing the same one line of the verse ten times in a row. And then you can go through and comp or compile uh, an ideal take by taking the best parts out of all of them. So hopefully, one of those takes you listen to and you think, this is great, except there's one word that I don't like the way it sounds. Maybe I hit it a little flat, or I said it weird, or my timing was a little late. Timing was a little weird, I wasn't in the pocket. Or my my, uh, throat caught a little bit or something. So you listen to the other nine takes that you have. You find sound a little flemmy, a little flemmy yeah. on that one part. You find the one part that you like, and then you make a new track that has your original track with the little piece that you wanted pasted over it. But as Dee is talking about, it is not uncommon, and in fact is often standard practice for uh, musicians, whether they're singers or Kenny G talked about doing this in the Kenny G documentary, uh, going through and doing this like every few notes um, to try to create a uh, superhuman or or perfect take and it's it is a some people think it's cheating but this sort of thing in the in the digital world it's super easy because you can do an infinite number of takes and you can do very precise pasting in the old days uh in tape you would actually punch in where you would be recording over 
the original take. So if you screwed it up, if your if your engineer screwed it up, you could destroy uh, the good take inadvertently. And even prior to that, before we had punch in and punch out, people would be doing edits, physical edits on the tape with uh, razor blades tape, and things. Yeah, like tape that. splicing, splicing tape. Yep, splicing. Uh, or, I, or simply just doing take after take after take until you got one that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now a lot of People do that. A lot of people do that with the intention of getting the perfect take. That's really not ever what I'm going for. I'm only going for the take that resonates with me in a way that I hope it's that that delivers a message, uh, which is not always like the perfect word from a take. It's it's not always the perfect syllable from another. Well, take. So it's so I, I, it sounds like there's a difference between technically perfect and the take where you're like that's the one. Yes. And one question I have for both of you guys is like, do you believe there is value in chasing a take that is going to somehow stand head and shoulders above all of the other ones? Or do you think that basically the, the issue here is like the singer's going to do what they're going to do, and I need something that is representative of that. So the idea that somehow they're going to do one that is twice as good or 50% better or a thousand percent better is, is nuts. Like, well, how do you guys feel about that? Boy, I, I think it depends on the genre. I think it depends on the singer. I think it depends on your budget, how much time you've got to work on things. You know, um, for me, I like a sort of a longer sort of like a performance, like a flow of things. And then I can patch stuff up if I need to. And then, um, but again, it's very circumstantial. It just really depends on kind of like what what you're up to, who the artist is, how much time you've got with them. Uh, like for me, I can, I mean, like that last vocal track I sent you, I'm like, technically it's pretty good, but it was missing something. And it was me. And I'm just like, you know, okay, well, what's missing? What do I need to find in that? So I'm going to redo it. And, uh, you know, and I spent a bunch of time on that and I sort of fixed a, a few things here and there. And I'm like, that's pretty good. But as I listen back to the entire thing, there's that something that was missing. And then for me, that typically is like, oh, you got the performance. Like the old stuff on the, the EP stuff that I did, and that was very old recordings. Those were great performances. They were just like, oh, wow, there's a few little nicks and marks in, in there. But I'm like, you feel like it's real. It was there, and it was. And uh, I don't exactly know how, because I'm probably a much better singer now than I was then, but... You would, I wouldn't know it by listening to that recording. I was like, oh, wow, that's really great. Why haven't you been singing in those, you know, however many years, you know? Um, so I think it really depends. And I think um, those are some of those sort of critical professional calls and experience, you know, like how much experience do you have with uh, knowing when that take is there and you're like, oh, shit, that was the one. Because every time I've been in the studio, Almost everyone, when you get the take, everyone goes, oh, damn, that was it. And you can't quite explain it, you know. Um, and so I think that just comes with experience. So that's part of it. But again, you know, budget, time. Uh, am I impatient that day? Do I just need to get this done as a template to send it out so I can get at least move it forward? You know, so I think there's a lot of factors with that. But I think there's a sixth sense that comes to you over time. At least it does for me where I'm like, Oh damn, that was the one for sure. It's not perfect, but it's like it's perfect for this. So, what say you, D? I, you know, I've heard all the stories about one take Bowie, and you know how people unanimously say like he had he had this 
freakish ability to just walk into a walk into a recording booth and bang something out in one take and then go, yeah, good enough. I'm I'm gonna go outside and have a smoke. Next song. I I always that's the bar that I always try to aim for. I do try to I do try to sing with the hope that I'm not gonna have to do any comping. And every once in a while I I'll get a pass that that's good soup to nuts and I'm always happy when that happens. Um, comping, I really, I, I don't, I don't hit record with the intent of 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 doing five passes to to comp. I do mm. five passes with the intention of to find the best take. Usually, I start out and and just listen and and just I, I usually know when I'm singing. Uh, when I'm singing those passes, that that uh, I, I know the one that's that's probably going to be the one. So I I typically will start with that one with the hopes of that being the take. And then um, if there's there's stuff that's that's off, you know the time like all the things that Anu said, the timing's off, it's pitchy in one spot. Then I start comping. Yeah, it's usually the approach I try to take. Now, now the the thing you were saying before Anu about about um, about performance and and making sure the performance resonates. Now, when I do when I do harmonies, I do take a fundamentally different approach with harmonies. Harmonies are like to me just like they are like just another instrument in a way. So I am going for something completely different. I, I, I do aim for trying to be in pitch and I don't give a shit if it's, if it's emotional or resonant because it's, it's going to be stacked with two other vocals behind. I'm, the I'm nodding aggressively yeah. here because I totally agree. And, and yeah. it's sort of like in, it's a different thing, right? Yeah. Well, and to, to use the uh, acting analogy again, like there's only one main character at any point in time. Right. And right. you don't want your, your backing vocals by definition are in the background. You don't want them pulling focus from yeah. the main vocal. It's one thing if, if, if it is like the lead vocal has dropped out here and this is a part where the backing vocals are going to carry it. But most of the time it's like they're in the background and they're, they're there for a yep. reason. So you, you don't, yep. you don't need them to have a ton of emotional valence and you do want them to be you know hitting the notes and, um, and being more like an instrument, I think. Totally agree. Yeah. I don't know if maybe now's a good time. I could tell that, that Frank Sinatra story that was. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at, uh, at, when I was working at Warner Brothers, there was all these characters who worked there. And uh, there used to be a recording studio called Amigo Studios, which was kind of over in North Hollywood, very close to the, the Warner Brothers Records building. And they used to do big, huge recordings there. And Frank Sinatra was on Reprise, which was part of Warner Brothers. And um, there was a, an engineer there, a very famous engineer, uh, recording engineer and mastering engineer named Lee Hirschberg. And he was kind of the guy, the go-to guy. And so every time Frank was going to come in and record, when he wasn't at Capitol, this is before, I can't remember before or after Capitol, he would go to Amigo Studios. And so there was a session set up and uh, there was another engineer who worked at Warner Brothers. His name was Rudy. And uh, there was a lot of stories about Rudy. But anyway, Lee said, hey, Rudy, I can't make this session. Frank Sinatra is going to be coming in. And... Um, you need to take over and do this one. And, you know, Rudy was a very competent em- engineer. And he's like, uh, oh, okay, Lee, great, you know, and it's tomorrow. And so uh, he said, great. So Rudy kind of freaked out. He took the rest of the day off and he went and he bought a brand new suit, a silk suit. And so uh, for Frank's session. And so he got the suit and uh, he went over to Amigo Studios and uh, he got everything set up. And then he went out into the alleyway. He was so fucking nervous and he like threw up in the alley, 
because he was just so freaked out that Frank Sinatra is going to be coming in. Anyway, he's all done. His suit is fine. Suit survived. He went back into the studio. He tested everything. There's an orchestra in the studio, as was the the case for that stuff. And then uh, Frank came in the studio with his entourage and everybody. And they all kind of like sashayed in. And then he like, you know, just everything's ready to go. The conductor's there. And so Frank gets up on the podium. The microphone's there. All those classic pictures. And he's like, uh, a one, a two. And they took off. And so the session started. And, you know, they hit record and they recorded everything. And Rudy kept hearing this, like, slight little bit of distortion on the microphone, on Frank's mic. And so he's like, oh, shit. Well, we'll have to just get a second take, you know? So anyway, he gets done doing it. It's a very famous song, and I can't remember which one it is. I'll see if I can I'll call my buddy and find out which one it was. It was like Summer Moon or something like that. It was a huge hit. And uh, so he gets done with the take. And he's like, okay, great, everyone. Great job. We're out of here. And uh, Rudy came out and said, oh, hey, you know, maybe we can get another take, you know, because there was a little bit of like, and he's like, nope, sorry, buddy, we're out of here. And <laughs> the whole entourage like went out the door and Rudy's like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm going to get fired, bloody blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that was the take. And that's the take that went onto the single with the little bit of scratchy distortion that's on there that you can still hear to this day. But my favorite part of that whole story was that Rudy went out and bought a fucking suit, a silk suit. He spent like, I don't know how much money to do the session. And then it went and threw up in the alley while waiting for Frank to show up with his entourage. But it's those things where like Frank knew it was the take. And even though there was a little bit of like distortion on it, it's like, no, that's the one. And I got to go. Fuck it, man. That's the take. He's like, I got to go to the Brown Derby and I'm out of here, you know, or wherever he was headed. But those are those things where it's just like... Sometimes there is no other choice. It's like, that's what you got and that's what you do. Yeah, I I think chasing a a perfect take or this idea that there is one you can do better beyond a certain point is really not worthwhile. Um, I think for the most part, people talk about one take Bowie, as you mentioned, D. I'm pretty sure that Bowie came into all of those sessions having rehearsed and practiced a whole bunch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, I mean, that was definitely his, his acumen, right? I mean, he, he just came in prepared. And, and I think, you know, Michael, you're talking about when you're sort of working with a vocalist and you're like, oh, that's the one. From my perspective, it, it usually comes from one of two things. One is either uh, the vocalist is trying to do something and there is some part that is a little bit technically challenging for them, right? There's a note that they're, you know, it's at some extreme end of their range or at the end of a phrase and the last four takes, they've missed it a little bit. They've been a little sharper, a little flat yeah. and... Um, finally they do a take where they, they just nail it and you're like, okay, great. That's the one. And it's not like it's missing anything. It's just more like they didn't, they didn't quite stick the landing and finally they do one where they do. But for those cases, in my experience, if they're not getting it after four or five takes, the right thing to do is either go, you know what, we're just going to fix it with auto tune or you tell them you need to go practice this some more, (laughs) uh, because you can't do it. Um, and then the other, uh, the other thing that I think happens that leads people to suddenly realizing, oh, this is the one, is that the vocalist uh, or the singer gets some feedback about their performance. It's sort of like, hey, try it this way. And it's something that they haven't done before. And they try it, and it usually takes one or two uh, passes before it kind of locks in. And it's it might be something like, don't 
don't sing that hard there or back off or change the melody this way. And there is some uh, change to the performance that is done in a way that makes everyone go, yeah, 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 that's that's the right way. Like do it with that kind of vibe or, or, or do it in that path. Yeah, I, I do think that one of the things, a couple of things have really benefited me in terms of being a better singer. And one of them is simply lots of practice and not just practice of like running through it the same way, but practice trying it different ways, um, doing different experiments. You know, sometimes I, I will do something if I'm having trouble finding the right tone or voice, I might ask myself like, all right, well, how would Bowie sing this? And then I'll go through and do like a pass, like I'm singing like David Bowie. And it might even be like, how would Ziggy Bowie do it versus like late period, you know, uh, crooner Bowie do it or, you know, Springsteen or somebody else and sort of putting on uh, a different perspective. But the, the thing that really helps is doing what most instrumentalists do, which is I write out the lyrics and then I go through and I'm like, I'm going to take a breath here and I'm going to take a breath here. And uh, I'm going to, I got to remember to back off here. So I'm going to write a little note, a little margin on my, my music here, like back off and, you know, going through and putting, uh, this is the emotional high point of the song. So I really want to punch it here or whatever, that kind of uh, working the piece Right. It's a combination of the intuitive emotion, but also the basket of tricks of like, I need to do some technical things here and I need to remember to do some very specific other things here to synthesize it together to get that performance. Yeah. I think it's like uh, race car drivers, too, where they they walk the track before they race it because they want to get a real picture in their head of like, what does it look like when I'm standing on the fucking corner that has killed all these people or like this is the troublesome place for most people? Or like, where is my, where are my spots where I'm going to shine the most, you know? And, and bringing that, I think rehearsing a part. What I'm noticing too is as you guys were talking about this, how I've been singing is like I'll have the lyrics on my phone and I'm kind of reading from my phone, and it's distracting, and I'm finding it's not working like it used to. Like I really, I saw uh, Nick Cave do some of this stuff where he's got you know like his notebook out and everything's been printed out and then glued into the notebook, and I'm like. God, that makes it look so easy, you know, where you can see it and then you can just be the part, whatever story you're telling. You can be in the story rather than in the, oh, I can't read that word (laughs) or I can't remember that word. I think that helps whatever props you need to like give you that freedom, I think is really helpful in uh, capturing a performance, giving a performance and... uh, and then, you know, having people around that can hear it where you're not the one, you know, it's it's hard when like the three of us, when we do stuff on our own, we're kind of left our own devices where we got to be like, ah, eh, I don't know. So there's your own self-judgment on top of the technical stuff you're trying to do and perform. It's a lot. It's a lot. I much prefer being on the other side of the glass. And, and I think that's probably what helped with the EP was I was on the other side of the glass in a room with a very nice microphone and a great headphone mix. And I just, all I had to do is like look at my lyrics and sing them and go, oh, I know what's going to happen here. So there's a lot more freedom around it. So I think, you know, whatever it takes to get you freed up to have a great performance really helps a lot. You know, I'm sure Frank Sinatra had rehearsed plenty, at least in his head or out loud or in Palm Springs at his house. You know, it was just like, oh, yeah, he had a. Uh, I saw doc, I saw this uh, Palm Springs doc, this documentary just about the history of Palm Springs, and they oh, spent yeah. a bunch of time um, talking about Frank, and they did a walkthrough of Frank's house. He had a little recording set up at his house in Palm Springs. 
Yeah. So, so got, he I, was, for sure he was doing shit like that. I think it helps a lot, you know. Whatever frees you up enough to, like, let that stuff flow through you. Because there is kind of, like, a flow to those things I found where, and I know when it's not flowing. It's really easy to tell when it's not flowing because I'm frustrated or I'm agitated and not in a good way. Like, if I'm if the part needs some agitation and I'm just, like, I'll put myself in that place. It's a lot like acting, I think, and, and uh, you know, just developing that skill set. And David Bowie was very much... He was that guy. He put on a character and he's like, I'm going to walk in as that character and deliver. And uh, a lot of training, a lot of years of doing that stuff and doing it poorly too, you know? <laughs> well, it, oh, yeah. again, it's, it's practice is almost always the answer. And my, my whole thing, I've tracked a lot of vocalists uh, as a producer or an engineer, and, and many of them have not been what we would consider to be particularly good. Um, my whole thing is like the most important is to make the singer comfortable. Yes. Mentally, physically, emotionally, um, and let them do whatever it is they're going to do. So I, I spend a lot of time, um, making the room nice, making sure that like their headphone mix is good. We can talk about tracking with and without headphones and all that kind of stuff too. But, um, for me, the most important thing is that whoever that singer is, when they're, uh, recording, I want them to feel like they're doing a great job and that they're supported. And if I'm going to give feedback, it's going to be constructive or like that was pretty good. Let's try it again. Or I think you can do it a little bit better. Um, sometimes it means like I'm going to light a candle. Sometimes it means I'm going to give them a little whiskey uh, or a cup of coffee or we'll chat a bit beforehand to kind of get them loose. Uh, but making making the singer comfortable. Bong hits. Bong hits, what, whatever it takes. I, I'm a, I, I tend to be a little wary about like too much cut, in terms cut. of the drugs because you need people to be like lucid and able to do their their thing. But there are people. I've, I've had people where they're like, I I need to go take a, a couple of hits before I do this. I'm like, all right, whatever you got to do. Yeah, everyone's got their their routines, you know. And some of it is being manic and not prepared, and then showing up and going, there's the performance. I, you know, in Extra Fancy, it was like that. That was his thing. It was like very much on the edge. That was his whole life as well as the performance. And, and you know, even when we rehearsed and like going to play shows, I was always like, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be compelling and amazing. And it was always, that was the case every single time. It would just be like, whoa, I didn't expect that. But you learned to expect the unexpected. But in the recording studio, again, it's like, how much time do you have? How, how big is the budget? You know, like, when does this need to be finished? Like, those kind of things where a lot of that, like, kind of like project management. It's just like, you know, here's our constraints, which can be good and bad. And, like, we just got to get this done, whatever it takes, you know. It's a lot. So my way of pre preparing, I, because I do spend a lot of time preparing, um, is uh, I always, I always... Uh, I, I do this whole assembly line thing that I've been talking about with an album for, for many reasons. One of the reasons is, is I always do, do vocals last so that I can hear everything together and, and, um, and, uh, and, and then before I, I cut the vocal for something, I'll do all of the things that you were talking about. I'll, I'll play it in a loop and I'll sing it over and over and over and over until I find something that, that sounds right to me. Um, the other thing that I that I've been doing um, 
with the past, it, this really kind of started with nihilism, and it, it, it's just dumb to me that I didn't start doing this sooner, is, is I will, will record the barest, most rudimentary thing with, with the shittiest scratch vocal through my shitty little Radio Shack mic and just get that into the project yeah. and into a mix. that And, and then that, that scratch vocal will hang out all the way up until um, I actually cut the vocal. And, and, the, and the big benefit of that is, is I'll make rough mixes and then I'll, I'll, I'll throw rough mixes up on my drive account and I will listen to them in the car and sing along with them. And go, oh, well, that works. That doesn't work. Oh, I should try to do something different here. Oh, that that phrase I'm using or that 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 line doesn't really work for the message. I gotta I gotta tweak that a little bit. And I'm always I'm thinking about all those things. So by the by the time I'm cutting a vocal, I've got a pretty clear idea of what I what I want to do for everything. You know? Yeah, I think sketching helps, rehearsing, all that stuff. And I think everyone finds their, like there's some producers I know, they just, they know what they're going to do with the artist and they're, and they've talked about it. Pre-production is huge, you know, and uh, I don't do nearly enough of it. I'm, some of it, it's like, I kind of want to be on the edge and discover stuff, but I'm also, it can be frustrating later too, where I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that thing? Or, you know, the other thing too about like having vocals, excuse me, having lyrics finished. Like I would ask, you know, both of you guys, you know, do you have the lyrics finished uh, before you start recording those things? Or do you have like in the melodies, are they sorted out mostly? Or do you just, you know, go, you know, you create the musical stuff and then the the melody and the lyrics will come later. Do you guys have most mostly completely written uh, and I will do rewrites all the way up to recording time. Got it. Yeah, it, it for me, it depends on the song. Uh, the way that I tend to write mostly these days is I will sit in front of a keyboard or with my guitar, and I probably have a fragment of something. It might be a lyric, it might be a melody, it might be a little bit of a chord progression, and I will try to write at least a verse and a chorus by singing and playing. And once I have that much done, um, I can build out a a template of the song. Uh, A lot of times for vocals, I will put in a a MIDI keyboard that has more or less what the notes of at least that one verse and one Mm. chorus are so that I have a a pitch reference. um, And and in case I forget, (laughs) I at least have something that'll remind me. Um, And then uh, I'll write out lyrics and I might edit the lyrics as I'm tracking. I might be like, oh, this word or the, I wrote I wrote the lyric one way, but it sings better if I omit some words or change some things. Yeah. And oftentimes, by the time I get to the second or third verses, I'm embellishing or changing the melody to, to keep it a little bit interesting. Um, do, do you guys find, uh, you know, D, you were talking about scratch vocals. Do you find yourself falling in love with the scratch vocal, A, just because it's done and now you don't have to worry about it anymore, or because... Uh, it, you're like, well, this is the way it goes now, and this is what it sounds like. How how often do you have to force yourself to replace that scratch vocal? Um, I, I will say straight up, I'm I think I'm a little lazy. Uh, I will get a vocal down, and sometimes I'm like, this is just a placeholder, so I know how the song goes. But after I've heard it a whole bunch of times, I'm like, eh, it's kind of fine. I don't know. And and um, I've also talked to lots of people who, when they're writing a song, they will phrase it a certain way or sing it a certain way, and they can't get 
out of that, like yeah. trying to get them to experiment with oh, yeah, different rhythms or stuff. They're just they're stuck, and it's super hard for them to. Yeah, that's Ryan's a good question. Better. Go ahead, Michael. I was going to say in that Ryan Tedder class, he he was he said, you know, I try not to leave the stuff in here for too long because uh, it gets too sticky, and then I start to get attached to those things. So sometimes he he really is like. Uh, editing very quickly and like getting rid of shit because he knows for himself it gets a little too sticky and i thought uh because i have that same thing too where i gotta be careful like the thing i sent you i'm like i'm really attached to it even though it's not working <laughs> you know yeah todd rundgren said i remember reading some interview with him and he was like he hates doing rough mixes or rough anything because he's like after i've heard it three times it's final yeah <laughs> i get That's it fun. i you know i i had one song. In fact, the, the one of the snippets that I had that I wanted to share was that song. Um, so I had gone through and and recorded scratch vocals for a bunch of the stuff for this album just just on my i just using the microphone on my iPad. And and my uh, might not have even been using the microphone on my. I think I was just using the microphone on my AirPods. Mm. Um, so it sounded like shit. And, and I was just recording into. I just I just dump some mixes into like garage band on my iPad. And I, and then I was just kind of, you know, walking around the dining room and, and kind of working out melodies and stuff. And it was great. Actually, I was using the air, the AirPods because the microphone, because I would just like walk around the room and just, just sing, just let it play in a loop and just sing and sing and sing. And then I get something and then, and then I exported all that stuff into the main projects. One of the takes I did for this one song, I really fucking liked to, I liked so much that I, uh, you know, I would solo it sometimes as I, as I was, you know, working on that song and go, I wonder if there's a way I could keep, keep this, but, but there's so much noise in the back. There's like traffic noise in the background and stuff. And, you know, I mean, the only way I could have, could use it would be to like filter the shit out of it, you know, to, to, you know, to have to do some kind of like filter affected thing. But I really like the take. I love the take so much. I would have kept it if, had I recorded it better. For sure, I, I so I track I I did the the actual tracking of that you know using using my nice U eighty seven and everything, and I it came out okay, but it's it still doesn't have that like I think I think once I start releasing stuff, I almost want to release a mix of that just because I really liked that original take, but I can't use it. I like that. I like background noise too. I started recording little bits and snippets of like there's some construction going on where I, near where I'm at and I I was like sitting in the living room and I was hearing it and I just opened up the glass door and pressed record on my phone and just held my phone up to it just to record like two or three minutes of it. I don't know what it's going to be for, but uh, I like that ambient noise stuff too. So sometimes you know there's stuff on there that you get that you capture and you're like. Well, I hadn't planned on that, but that's kind of magical in its own weird yeah. way. So I didn't, I didn't want any of that stuff in there, though. I was trying yeah. to figure out how to scrape it out, and I, I couldn't. You know, oh, yeah. keep, just to keep the take, but it was just too shitty of a take. Definitely an alternate version. Yeah, you do like a, the, here's so. the, shit, the shit mix. The shit mix. So uh, I guess another topic we can throw in here in, uh, in some of our last few minutes is like, let's talk about signal chain. How important do you think things like microphone and preamp and stuff like that are? Because I know some people are very particular or they feel like, hey, if you're not using such and such tube microphone into whatever, like it's not worth keeping. Um, 
but uh, what do you what do you guys think? How important is Signal Chain? What what do you use? Uh, ha- has it improved or changed over it's the years? Very very important. Yeah, okay. I, go ahead, D. Oh, okay. So um, I tend to keep my Signal Chains when I'm actually tracking as simple as I possibly can, and I think it's just a result of just like when I was beginning to learn how to do this, do all of this shit for real. I was reading Mix Magazine a lot and just reading a lot of interviews with um, producers I like. And most of them would say, yeah, I, I just I just try to use a good microphone and just keep the chain as simple as I possibly can. So that's kind of been my thing ever since. It's For me, it's typically... Um, it's typically mic into... I've got a nice uh, uh, Universal Audio. I got one of those Universal Audio 610... Um, two pre's that uh that you can dial between um solid state and tube and it and it's it's really nice i just you typically just run into that um i tweak it tweak it there and it's just out of that into my audio interface but sometimes for things like like backing vocals i'll just go straight into to uh into my audio interface um the other thing i I, i've been doing a lot with this album one of the things that's made it time consuming, but but I can hear the payoff with it, is I will change mics a lot. I have I, I've got a pretty pretty good mic cabinet now. I've got like um, I don't know. I've got like four or five mics that I keep at the house here, and um, I will use thing like I have an, I have a ribbon that I use for a lot of stuff for, for like warmer stuff. I, I so I'll use the ribbon for harmonies for some harmonies. And then, depending on the harmony that I'm doing, if it's a, if it's an alto or if it's a falsetto, then I'll break out, you know, a small diaphragm condenser. Or um, like yesterday, I broke out my my blue bottle, uh, just because it has like a nice mid bump to it. Uh, and then I and then I the U87 is just is all for early vocal stuff and like maybe like harmony stuff during verses and stuff you know the the front and center stuff i i use a u87 for and then i and then i just kind of change mics in and out depending on, on what i'm doing for the other stuff but well, it's that's always fantastic. a simple path that's so, so you are very much uh, uh kind of a guy who's like all right what is this part and what is the right setup i need for this part yeah how, how about you michael yeah it's a very good question i'm i'm I can afford to be pretty lazy with it for my own stuff. You know, I think, again, it's like, what's your budget? How much time do you have? Uh, all those things are very important. Who's the singer? You know, the, depending on the the level of singer and like what, if they have a very specific voice and you wanted to get into the nitty gritty, all my producer and engineer friends who are like working with very specific sounding voices, they have, you know, they'll they'll try different things with them or they'll have like, oh, I know what to use with you, you know? I'm kind of like, run what you brung. So I've got like an RE20 that I have here, a very old RE20 that's been rebuilt because uh, it fell apart at one point. So I like had that rebuilt for my voice. And it's it's a little too smooth. I've also used a bunch of like inexpensive to more expensive, anything from like uh, a Royer, like ribbon mics, all the way down to like, you know, some uh, less expensive tube mics to like very cheap mics, like 58s and 57s. And like, I just try stuff to see what will happen. If if I was working with somebody else, I'd probably put them in a, stu- a more, you know, uh, fastidious studio uh, environment where I'm like, I want to try some stuff. But I just, I've, I'm just working on most of my own stuff right now. 
So, um, so not very elaborate. And I just go right into my, uh, <clears throat> my, um, my input device and I just keep it very simple. And then I worry about processing later, you know, um, and just try and keep it as simple as possible. Just, just so I get a real direct, you know, connection to whatever the voice is and try and capture that thing. Um, so nothing too fancy over here. I would love to get more fancy, but I'm also the space and time that I'm afforded right now is just like, eh, maybe someday if I had my own sort of space on my own, that was much bigger too. I'd probably kind of do what D's doing. I really like how D's been like, uh, trying different things and experimenting is really helpful. It's really yeah, fucking I, time consuming, but it, but it pays off. Yeah. Well, even if you get to a place where you have uh, kind of a palette of setups and you're like, well, I've got these four mics or whatever and these different combinations and you know for this kind of thing I'm going to do this thing it's it's it is in some ways analogous to having like three or four different guitars and and you're like oh for yeah, this part I want a humbucker yes. or whatever I I on the other hand tend to be super lazy I I I don't have a lot of microphones and um I often tell people my my sort of silly justification is like Look, the problem with my music is not the microphone and the preamp. The problem with my microphone is about three inches in front. Of, you know, probably <laughs> oh, my music is about three stop. inches in front. Of stop it! It's true. So stop well, it. So I'm, I'm sort of of two minds about this. One is that, of course, uh, the microphone and the preamp matter because that is the raw sound that you're capturing, and particularly for the voice this you're there's only so much stuff you want to do like there's something very primal and powerful about the voice and unlike almost every instrument that we capture radical eq effects distortion is not generally what you want what you're looking for is you want um, a very clear detailed picture of what that voice actually sounds like and the different microphones are going to bring out uh, different elements so I usually have one microphone that I have set up on a stand with a pop filter going into a, a preamp. And I've always had a decent, since I got serious about recording in my late 20s, I've always had a decent preamp. That sort of thing makes a huge difference. It doesn't have to be a kajillion dollars. I used to have a, an Aphex Tubescence pre. Oh, I had a fucking, I had one of those little ART MP yeah. things. Oh, that, you know, like the yeah. little and, box and, with a tube, with, a U, with an AX tube. And that modest great. setup, I, it worked I actually great. had a uh, had a Grammy award winning engineer over in my little garage studio listening to some stuff I'd done. He's like, "This vocal sounds great. What did you do?" And I was like, "I plugged that mic into that," and he was just like, astounded. No. <laughs> uh, but um, I sold a lot of that stuff when I when I moved to San Francisco in in uh, 2000, and for a long time I had a Joe Meek 6Q mic pre, which was kind of cool because there was a transformer you could switch in or out of the circuit to give yeah, it I know those. different did you, did you like that thing? Did you like I, it? it? It was it was the right price point, which was like 600 bucks, I think, when I bought it. And it sounded really good or good enough. Uh, it had a really nice DAC in it. So I could uh, use the, the DAC output um, so I, I could get digital faster. I never, never used the compressor or the EQ on it. Uh, I just used the preamp part, and I liked that you could make it a little gritty if you crank the gain up. And into that, I, for a while, I had like a Rode NT1, which was, you know, okay. I still have one. Um, and Yeah, that uh, was my first uh, condenser was, was an NT1, yeah. A buddy of mine gave me one of those um, knockoff, uh, uh, Chinese uh, Neumann knockoffs, which was okay for a while, but there was something nasty in the high-end it was kind of sibilant but dull at the same time. And so what I really have been using these days is I have an Octava 
microphone that a guy named Michael Jolie modified for me a couple years ago, and it sounds like a million bucks. And I sold the 6Q like two years ago and replaced it with an SSL mic pre in a rack, the SSL Ooh. alpha channel. Um, and I basically just use one mic for everything. Voice is pretty much the only, voice and maybe some percussion or the occasional bit of acoustic guitar is pretty much all I, I record. But yeah. at least now I know that it sounds pretty good and it's a stable reference point that I can work from. I have a 57 and a 58. I'm talking on a 57 right now. Uh, but I, I mostly use those for live and and don't generally go to the trouble of switching out the mics because it's a pain. And for me, more than anything else, I want to go fast. Um, yeah. yeah. Get right to it. Should we uh, pull a card, gentlemen? Yeah, I think this was oh, a great yeah, topic time. and we could uh, dig into it a little bit more next time if we want. But I know we've got we're up against time here today. So let's pull a card. Yeah, it was a, it was a good idea, Anu. Definitely. Oh boy! Oh, I never got to play my. I never got to play my clips. Uh, you can play, play a clip, or we can edit it in later. We'll drop it in the middle. Uh, we can drop it in the middle. Well, no, Michael doesn't have time. Like, we can just we can do it in a we can do it in another episode. It's fine. Let's do another episode where we play some stuff we've been working on. Kind of part two of this. Let's do that. That'll give me a week to sort of like get some new stuff together and like we'll populate and go. Is that, like, o- is that okay, Anu? Can we do that? Sure. Fine by me. Because okay. that, that shit you played was great, D. I want to hear it all. Okay. All right. Ready? Wait, 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 wait. Uh, yay. Boom. Michael's got simply. A matter of work. Amen. Anu's got Ashkir body. I like that. That's that's very relevant to this. Mine is reverse. I don't know what to do with reverse. That sounds like you. I got put your I, thing I, down, I, flip it, and reverse it, D. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, I like, D. I like Missy Elliott. Oh man, she's so badass. She's the fucking best, man. We need to get she, her on the show. Such a I mean, it's such a bummer. She she got like sickle cell. And she can't really record anymore because she's got sickle oh, cell. Jesus, yeah. Man, yeah, she was a, her and Timbaland. Man, those Timbaland recordings, fuck me. Those things. I went back and listened to some of that stuff. Uh, Hazel and I did a few years ago. We're like, holy shit! This entire album is just is just fucking incredible. Like yeah, this whole, whole fucking thing. Whole record, top to bottom, was just like the <laughs> album with that with that track on it. I can't yep. remember the name of it, but. Jesus yeah. Christ, that whole album. It's just banger after banger. Yeah. It's crazy. I wonder what microphone they used. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Anu. Sorry, I'm Thank you, guys. Up. Always a All pleasure. Right. Well, until next week, uh, you know, uh, so for the housekeeping stuff, uh, we, we, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we are enjoying a, a inexplicably nice bump in listenership. So thank you for listening. We, so if you look at our, our met, if you look at, at, uh, listenership, like going back to the beginning, it looks like a smiley face now. Woo. Which is pretty cool. There's there's like the hump, you know, people discovering it for the first time. We're we're kind of back up to 
that initial discovery listenership, which is just great. So it. thanks for listening. Like, like I said, you know, I, I've been finding out like here and there over time that, you know, friends, uh, friends far and wide, like people I went to high school with going, yeah, listen to, listen to it every week. It's great. Um, thank you for that. Um, you can find us on the Facebooks, like we always say. You can find us on on the music on the, the the music mindfulness mess. You can find us on Instagrams, um, where Anu uh, likes to post all kinds of nifty stuff. We have a website. And, we've got a website. Send we've got us an email. At, Somebody, send, anybody, send, send us an send email. Us, send us emails. <laughs> you know, I dare you. And keep coming back. Right on like having you. All right, we'll see y'all next week. All right. Bye. See ya.